0: You've probably heard the statement, the wrong side of history. As in, so-and-so ended up on the wrong side of history. It's said about people who supported the losing side. Maybe they backed the wrong regime in a war, or they gave their allegiance to a particular leader, and that leader was defeated. They threw themselves behind a cause And it turned out to be a lost cause. That's what it means to be on the wrong side of history. And I mention this because I think it can be a worry for us sometimes. As Christians, what if our cause sinks into the dustbin of history? Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. That's a big commitment to make. It's hard enough if we know we're on the winning side. It's almost impossible if we're worried about being on the losing side. Nobody wants to end up on the wrong side of history. And so we can be very thankful because God has worked hard to show us those men and women who side with his Messiah His anointed king, those men and women can be sure, however dark things get, however tough the times are, however much we seem to be in the minority, if we side with God's Messiah, we cannot lose. Whatever setbacks we suffer, we cannot finally lose. And the reason for that is that our king cannot finally lose. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And one day he will be seen to be king of kings and lord of lords. Every tongue will acknowledge it one day. Every knee will bow before him. I said a moment ago God has worked hard to show us that truth. And one of the places he has shown it most clearly is in the reign of King David. We've been saying throughout this series, that's the place in the Old Testament where we see the kingdom of God most clearly. God's anointed king, David, shows us a lot about God's ultimate anointed king, Jesus. And in recent weeks, we've seen David's kingdom under threat. His son Absalom has rebelled. He laid the groundwork for that rebellion over several years. He succeeded over time in stealing the hearts of the people of Israel. And when he called them to join him in rebellion, they rallied to him. All the indications are Absalom's supporters are in the majority. David and his followers seem to be a very insignificant minority. Last week we saw them leaving the capital city of Jerusalem and heading out into the wilderness. They were running for their lives and they didn't really know where they were going. They were reliant on handouts of food and wine to keep them going. All the indications are those who stay loyal to David are going to end up on the wrong side of history. But our passage this morning has a simple message for us. At this point in time, the kingdom of David is the kingdom of God. God has anointed David. God is ruling through David, and God's kingdom cannot fail. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 16. If you're using a church Bible, that's page 321, or in the large print Bibles, 494. Last week, we left David and his followers exhausted. They were somewhere near the banks of the Jordan River. It was a bleak, depressing scene. But now, the scene shifts back to Jerusalem. And the atmosphere in Jerusalem is very different. We're going to pick up at chapter 16, verse 15, and we'll read down to chapter 17, verse 23. Meanwhile, that's while David and his followers were exhausted, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem. And Ahithophel was with him. Then Hushai the archite, David's confidant, went to Absalom and said to him, Long live the king, long live the king. Absalom said to Hushai, So, this is the love you show your friend? If he's your friend, why didn't you go with him? Hushai said to Absalom, No, the one chosen by the Lord, by these people, and by all the men of Israel, his I will be and I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve the son? Just as I served your father, so I will serve you. Absalom said to Ahithophel, give us your advice. What should we do? Ahithophel answered, sleep with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father, and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the advice that Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. Ahithophel said to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he is weary and weak. I would strike him with terror and then all the people with him would flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. This plan seemed good to Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. But Absalom said, summon also Hushai the Archite, so that we can hear what he has to say as well. When Hushai came to him, Absalom said, Ahithophel has given this advice. Should we do what he says? If not, give us your opinion. Hushai replied to Absalom, The advice Ahithophel has given is not good this time. You know your father and his men. They are fighters and as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. Besides, your father is an experienced fighter. He will not spend the night with the troops. Even now, he's hidden in a cave or some other place. If he should attack your troops first... Whoever hears about it will say, there's been a slaughter among the troops who follow Absalom. Then even the bravest soldier, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a fighter and those with him are brave. So I advise you, let all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand in the seashore, be gathered to you with you, yourself, leading them into battle. Then we will attack him wherever he may be found, and we will fall on him as Jew settles on the ground. Neither he nor any of his men will be left alive. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we will drag it down to the valley until not so much as a pebble is left. Absalom and all the men of Israel said... The advice of Hushai the archite is better than that of Ahithophel. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. Hushai told Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Ahithophel has advised Absalom and the elders of Israel to do such and such, but I have advised them to do so and so. Now, send a message at once and tell David, do not spend the night at the forge in the wilderness. Cross over without fail, or the king and all the people with him will be swallowed up. Jonathan and Ahimaaz were staying at en A female servant was to go and inform them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they could not risk being seen entering the city. But a young man saw them, and told Absalom. So the two of them left at once and went to the house of a man at Baharim. He had a well in his courtyard, and they climbed down into it. His wife took a covering and spread it out over the opening of the well and scattered corn over it. No one knew anything about it. When Absalom's man came to the woman at the house, they asked, "Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan?" The woman answered them, "They crossed over the brook." The man searched but found no one. So they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the two climbed out of the well and went to inform King David. They said to him, Set out across and cross the river at once. Ahithophel has advised such and such against you. So David and all the people with him set out and crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, no one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel... Saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey and set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order and then hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. This is God's word. Our passage starts out in Jerusalem. And what we find is a powerful enemy with a brilliant plan. The focus here is not on Absalom. It's on the man called Ahithophel. He is the brains behind this operation. Ahithophel had been a close friend and counselor to David, but now he's gone over to Absalom. But having been introduced to us, In verse 15, before we hear any more about Ahithophel, someone we already know reappears. His name is Hushai the Archite. We met him last week. As David was climbing the Mount of Olives, he heard that Ahithophel had deserted him. And David prayed that God would frustrate Ahithophel's efforts. And as David looked up, there was Hushai. He'd come to join David, and David wondered if Hushai might be the answer to his prayer. Hushai was also in the business of giving counsel to kings. Maybe he could frustrate Ahithophel's efforts. So David said to him, if you want to help me, Hushai, go back to Jerusalem and work for me there. Offer your services to Absalom, and you can be my inside man. Hushai agreed. And we saw last week he arrived in Jerusalem from one end of the city while Absalom was marching in the other. And now he meets Absalom in verse 16. Hushai the archite, David's confidant, went to Absalom and said to him, Long live the king, long live the king. Absalom said to Hushai, So, this is the love you show your friend? If he's your friend, why didn't you go with him? Hushai said to Absalom, No, the one chosen by the Lord, by these people and by all the men of Israel, his I will be, and I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve the son? Just as I served your father, so I will serve you. The thing to realize here is that everything Hushai says can be taken two ways. He says, Long live the king. But he doesn't say which king. He says, I'm with the one chosen by the Lord. But he doesn't say who he means. And even in verse 19, Hushai carefully avoids being clear. He says literally, as I served before your father, so I will be before you. And even though Absalom knows Hushai has been David's friend, even though he's suspicious at first, He's won over. He assumes Hushai means long live King Absalom. He assumes Hushai is calling him the Lord's chosen one. And Absalom assumes Hushai is going to serve him as he served David. But we know Hushai means long live King David. He means David when he mentions the Lord's chosen one. And he's promising to continue serving David even though he's now before Absalom. It's all very clever from Hushai. It might even make us smile at how clever he's being. But really, what does it actually achieve? Except maybe making Absalom feel a little flattered. And in fact, as we read on, we might wonder if Hushai is badly out of his depth here. Because after he's listened to Hushai's little speech, Absalom turns in verse 20 and we read, Absalom said to Ahithophel, give us your advice, what should we do? Ahithophel answered, sleep with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father, and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. Hushai managed a clever little bit of double talk. But as soon as Ahithophel speaks, we realize Hushai is playing with the big boys here. Ahithophel doesn't mess around. He's totally on top of this situation. And he's ruthless. When David left Jerusalem, he left ten concubines behind to take care of the palace. And Ahithophel doesn't even flinch. He says to Absalom, have sex with them and do it publicly. When Absalom does that, two things are going to happen. It will finalize the breach between father and son. There will be no going back after this. Nothing could be more offensive and disrespectful to David. And this will announce that Absalom's power grab is now complete. He has succeeded in seizing the king's power and the king's position. Ahithophel is as cold-blooded as you can get. And his authority is unquestioned. Absalom's attitude seems to be, whatever you say, Ahithophel. So they pitch a tent on the roof of the palace and all Israel knows what Absalom's doing in that tent. Beside this, Hushai's clever little speech seems a bit pathetic. Surely he's out of his depth beside this ice man, Ahithophel. And verse 23 underlines the point for us. In those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. In other words, asking Ahithophel was as good as asking God. That's how the people saw it. And so far, we can't really argue with that. Ahithophel speaks, and it happens, just like God. So when Ahithophel speaks again, we know what to expect. At the beginning of chapter 17... He tells Absalom what needs to happen next. And again, he's very direct. No messing around, no wasted words. I'll take 12,000 men, leaving right away tonight. I'll get David while he's weary and weak. No messy battles. I'll only take out the king. Just one hit. And all of his supporters will cave in and they'll come over to you, Absalom. It's a brilliant plan. Ahithophel's understanding of the situation is perfectly accurate. David is exhausted. He has no plan of his own. And he's a sitting duck camping on the banks of the Jordan River. In just a matter of hours, Ahithophel will consign David to the dustbin of history. No doubt ready to turn on his heels and go. There's nothing to debate. He knows he's that good. Absalom and his men know he's that good. Verse 4 says, this plan seemed good to Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. All that remains is for Absalom to say go. But something stops him. Something Flickers across his mind. Some little uncertainty. Ethophel is never wrong. He always knows what will work. But let me just check. Verse 5. Absalom said, Summon also Hushai the Archite, so that we can hear what he has to say as well. This is very strange. There's no reason for Absalom to do this. Why waste time? We know Ahithophel's plan is unbeatable. This is an amazing turn. And without spoiling the end of the story, that little flicker across Absalom's mind, that moment of hesitation will end up costing Absalom the kingdom. Hushai is called in. Hushai, who's out of his depth in this situation, he can't outthink Ahithophel. But Hushai is clever enough to know he doesn't have to outthink Ahithophel, he only has to outthink Absalom. And that is not too hard. Let's think back. What do we know about Absalom? He's vain. Remember the hair. We've heard a lot about the hair. Absalom's annual haircuts were a national event in Israel. Remember the chariot. There wasn't room to swing a cat in the streets of Jerusalem. But Absalom paraded up and down them in his chariot with a 50-man support crew. Hushai doesn't have a better plan than Ahithophel. But he knows how to play on Absalom's pride and his massive sense of self-importance. Ahithophel's advice took just a few lines to deliver. But Hushai, well, he turns on the charm and the flattery and he goes on for ages. He says, I know Ahithophel's great, Absalom. He's the best. But he can't be right every time. Even Usain Bolt loses a race once in a while. And this time, Ahithophel has forgotten what a warrior your dad is. David will have a plan in place. He'll be waiting for an attack like this. And if he wins that skirmish, the hearts of Israel will melt. They'll remember how brave and resourceful David is. The tide will turn in his favor. So, Absalom, here's what I advise. Ahithophel said he would lead this mission. But, and again, I hate to contradict such a great man, but wouldn't it be better if you led the army, Absalom? I mean, such a fine figure as yourself. You belong in the place of prominence. Your hair streaming out behind you. Your armor gleaming. And Absalom, don't settle for an army of 12,000. Take the time to gather all Israel together, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. By this point, Hushai is getting poetic. He's painting a great picture. In verse 12, we will fall on him like Jew settles on the ground. And if a fortress or a city gets in our way, we'll just pull that down. And you'll be at the head of it all, Absalom. As a plan, this is completely useless. Its only purpose is to delay Absalom long enough so David can get away. This is a dud of a plan. But as a persuasive speech to a vain man, it's great. Look at verse 14. Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than that of Ahithophel. This is an amazing turn. But before we start congratulating Hushai for this, the text gives us something else to think about. And this is the key phrase in the whole passage at the end of verse 14. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. Ahithophel's advice was good in the sense that it would have worked, not in the sense that it was morally good. This verse is telling us that little flicker of doubt on Absalom's mind the moment of hesitation that made him call Hushai instead of sending Ahithophel right away. That flicker, that hesitation, came from the Lord. And it was the Lord who caused Absalom to favor Hushai's plan instead of the far better plan of Ahithophel. What verse 14 is telling us is that God's kingdom cannot fail. No matter how powerful the enemies are that line up against it. No matter what brilliant plans those enemies have. Verse 14 tells us, it doesn't matter how bleak things look for God's people. If you and I give our allegiance to God's Messiah, we cannot end up on the wrong side of history. History is in God's hands. From the big battles all the way down to the synapses in every human brain. His kingdom cannot fail. No weapon can stand against him. No intelligence can outmaneuver him. Ever. In fact, even Ahithophel's move to have Absalom sleep with David's concubines. Even that was under God's sovereign plan. Back in chapter 12, God said it would happen. In the aftermath of David's sin with Bathsheba, the prophet Nathan delivered God's words to David. I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. It's possible Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. It's hard to be sure about that when we look at the genealogy lists, but it's possible. Some commentators think that's why Ahithophel turned against David. And that's why he's so ruthless. But he can't win. Because however human and sinful David is, and we've seen that, At this point in history, David is God's chosen king. That's who Ahithophel is trying to overthrow. It doesn't matter how big or how popular or how smart or how vicious the enemy is. The enemies of God's Messiah cannot win. That's easy to say. Today, in here you and I can see that truth as we look back to Israel 3000 years ago but when you and I are in the thick of things tomorrow when the enemy is surrounding us when we look around at our weak resources then the outcome often seems pretty up in the air We feel out of our depth as God's people as we try to witness and live faithfully and as we see church attendance falling across the country as we see Christianity being shoved to the margins of society as if it's something out of date and irrelevant. Maybe you're the only Christian in your school or your work, or your home. In those situations, it seldom looks obvious to us that God's kingdom cannot fail. His kingdom often looks pretty vulnerable. And we need to realize things were no different for Hushai the Archite. Remember, Hushai doesn't have a Bible in his back pocket here. He has not read what verse 14 says about God's plan and God's action to frustrate Ahithophel's plan. Hushai doesn't know any of that. For all Hushai knows, Absalom might change his mind again in two minutes' time. He might decide Ahithophel's advice is better after all. And so Hushai goes straight to the two priests, Zadok and Abiathar, We saw last week, as David was clearing out of Jerusalem, he set up a four-man intelligence network. Messages were to be sent to David through Zadok and Abiathar's sons, Jonathan and Ahimaaz. So Hushai, he knows about this, and he goes to the priests and he says, this is what Ahithophel advised, this is what I've advised, who knows what Absalom will actually do? So David needs to cross the Jordan River tonight. If Ahithophel does what he wants to do, David will not survive until the morning. Well, it's one thing for Hushai to say, go and tell David. The practicalities of doing that are a bit more difficult. The next verses tell us a servant girl is sent to tell Jonathan and Ahimaaz. They're waiting just outside Jerusalem, ready for any messages that might come. But they're spotted by one of Absalom's men. They end up having to hide down a well. And they're only saved when a lady sends Absalom's man the wrong way. And so they make it to David. But even when they make it to David, the danger isn't over. There's a reason David hadn't been planning to cross the river in the pitch black. The reason is, it's a very risky thing to do. Depending on the time of year, the Jordan River can be wide enough and deep enough to be treacherous. In the daytime, never mind the dark. But when this warning arrives from Hushai, David and his men can't stay where they are. So they go. And verse 22 tells us, By daybreak, no one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. They all made it. That may have looked very unlikely at the beginning of our passage. Back then, it seemed like Absalom held all of the cards. And Ahithophel was the trump card. But once verse 14 told us the Lord had determined to frustrate the advice of Ahithophel, once we knew that, then David's escape wasn't unlikely at all. It was an obvious outcome. How could Absalom have succeeded when the Lord had determined he would fail? And now, Ahithophel knows the chance of victory has gone. He senses the situation has turned in David's favor. And Ahithophel kills himself. Verse 22, when Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey and set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order and then hanged himself. Why did he react this way? Well, we've seen how much insight he has. He knows the advantage is now with David. It's only a matter of time. And Ahithophel has thrown his lot well and truly in with Absalom. Maybe he's afraid he'll end up being tried and executed as a traitor. Maybe he just can't bear that Absalom followed Hushai's foolish plan instead of his foolproof plan. Either way, Ahithophel realizes he is on the wrong side of history. For all of his great insight and his worldly wisdom, he wasn't wise enough to side with God's Messiah. And that is the key thing here. Ahithophel was not just a man who picked the wrong political side. His choice was much more serious. He chose to be an enemy of God's Messiah. And that choice cannot end well. One writer says, You cannot attack the kingdom of God without sooner or later being crushed by the power of God. And so for every single one of us, the crucial issue is not how talented we are or how popular we are. The crucial issue is which side are we fighting on? Are we with God's Messiah Are against him. Our eternal future hinges on that. The situation in David's kingdom wasn't a one-off. God's kingdom always faces opposition. And often the opposition looks much more powerful than God's kingdom. That was certainly true in the life of Jesus Christ. The New Testament tells us how Jesus' disciple, Judas, he conspired with the Jewish leaders against Jesus, just like Ahithophel. Judas and the Jewish leaders were supported by Herod and by the Roman leader Pontius Pilate. Together, they were a powerful opposition to God's Messiah and they seemed to have absolute success. They put Jesus to death by kneeling him to a cross. What could be more final than that? Do you think Jesus' disciples worried they were on the wrong side of history as they stood there watching Jesus die? Of course they did. What was going to become of his kingdom now? And yet, we read this in the book of Acts. Immediately after mentioning Jesus' death, Acts chapter 2 tells us, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible because God's kingdom cannot fail. In fact, Jesus' death led to his greatest victory. On the cross, he triumphed over sin and death. His enemies were defeated at the cross. Yes, they still fight on, But they can't win. Anyone who sides against Jesus is on the losing side. So if you have not yet bowed to Jesus as your Lord, now is the time to do it. Don't end up on the wrong side of history. And if you have committed to taking up your cross and following Jesus then take courage from God's word. What matters is not your ability. What matters is not how many people stand with you. What matters is not the size and strength of the opposition. What matters is God's plan. He has promised an eternal kingdom for his Messiah. And his kingdom is cannot fail so take courage keep going our next song encourages us to do that it says our God stands like a fortress rock with walls that cannot fail us